Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business Show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. And let's face it, China has become all of our business. And we have a, a guest today who's bringing a very interesting perspective with his new book, which is fiction, but boy, it sure reads like uh, reality, uh, almost prophetic, uh, considering when it, when it was written. John Moody, he's author of The World We Wish. Moody is the former executive vice president, executive editor for Fox News, a former Rome Bureau Chief for Time Magazine and author of uh, the book of several books, including Pope John Paul II, a biography. Hey, John, welcome to the program. Very interesting uh, book and very timely book. Um, when did you start writing it? I just, you know, that's always an interesting question to ask, ask because, again, in the end, it looks very prophetic. Well, Kevin, first, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. Um, I started writing the book last year after finishing the first part of this uh, trilogy that I plan to write about China. Uh, the other book was called um, Of Course They Knew, Of Course They, and it was also a novel, but it was based on facts, and it said that China intentionally created the virus that we're all supposed to call coronavirus because we don't want to upset the Chinese by calling it China virus. Um, and when I got done with that, I realized that the characters – in the first book, uh, still had a lot to say and do. So I went to work on the other one last year and finished it uh, early, uh, early in the fall. Right. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the uh, the book uh, itself. Talk about uh, what you had in mind in writing. Obviously, it's you know interesting and entertaining. But what were you? What were some of your objectives that were clearly beyond just being entertaining? Well, I, I hope that your listeners and my readers find it entertaining. Uh, the, the goal, however, was really to uh, present a point of view about China that I think we all suspect, but very few people are willing to enunciate. And that is China's not our friend. Don't, don't go pretending that they're just a good trading partner and that you can get a lot of good cheap goods from them. Uh, you can't. That's not what they want. They want to dominate the world. Um, I had to use fiction because uh, I was a reporter for a lot of years. Uh, before I became a news executive, uh, and I always held myself to a pretty high standard of reporting. I had to know that what I was saying and writing was the truth, based, usually based on, on seeing it myself. I couldn't get into China. They wouldn't let me in. They wouldn't answer my questions. Nobody at the embassy or the consulate would answer anything. So I had to do a lot of research online, and I did learn to, to find and read a lot of English-language Chinese websites um, and you can get a surprising amount of information, um, not always information that the government of China wishes you could get. So I had, I had those facilities at my disposal. I also made a small network of very, very courageous Chinese citizens who were willing to explain what they had actually seen going on in their cities. And it's, it's harrowing stuff, really. Uh, I tried to make it as, as close to the, the account that I had heard as possible without giving away their identities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a tall order. You said there's something at the beginning that, you know, kind of made me flinch, not because it wasn't true, but because so many people don't hear much about it, which is that the Chinese created the virus. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's not part of conventional wisdom yet. Uh, it's one of those kind of like awkward uh, elephants in the room <laughs> type of things where they keep digging further and further into it with more and more pointing to it. But you get the sense that they, the scientists, the researchers, even intelligence, 
agencies don't want to go that far. Talk a little bit about that. Do you think that's an accurate statement on my part? And then talk about it, that. It, it is a perfectly accurate statement, Kevin. The, the scientific community is scared almost to death of China, of upsetting them, of losing contracts that they have with Chinese research firms, of losing contact with their, with their counterparts in China. Um, there is such a huge Chinese presence in scientific research that it becomes almost impossible to do a project on your own without collaborating with the Chinese. That's why the scientists and their community and government officials refuse to state the obvious, which is this, this virus started in China and was intentionally spread by China. Uh, I don't have a contract with China, so I'm allowed to say it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, one of the things I talk about, I try to help my listeners realize that Everyone has an axe to grind. What you've got to listen for is, is, is it a paid axe to grind? And so, you know, they get paid for a very specific opinion. Uh, like if we get a trade organization on, you know they are talking about what they're paid for. Uh, you know, so uh, buyer beware or listener beware. So yeah, that's good information. I also think there's uh, obviously a little bit of concern about, um, you know, we're already in kind of a, perilous relationship with China is very fragile. Uh, I think I would call it uh, beyond competitive. Politicians like to use that word. There's a lot of acrimony involved. You know, I think if we went so far as to say it was a Chinese-created virus, the backlash from a consumer perspective would be absolutely huge. Uh, and and I, I would assume probably knowing the, uh, I think, the fragility of the Chinese government, that they would look at that as provocative. Well, yeah, I mean, there's no such thing, uh, Not just to correct you mildly, Kevin, there's no such thing as a majority of the Chinese government. They are all unified. It is one thought process, and it is called socialism with Chinese characteristics. This phrase was introduced by the current leader of China, Xi Jinping. It's his way of saying our kind of communism is unique, and it sure is because if you don't do exactly what the party tells you, bad things are going to happen to you. That's their socialism. Um, so, yeah, you know, the Chinese are the Chinese know what they're doing. They also know a lot about the United States and the American mentality. And they know that political correctness has reached such a crazy point in the United States that they can get away with almost anything and not face any consequences because we're afraid of being called racist. Right. Yeah. And, and by the way, what I'm talking about what's going on in their head, not in their mouth. And so when I say that, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if they have complete uniformity robots, you know, uh, there where they have no thought of their own. But we know from a, a consensus, you know, and, and, and I don't think, I think Westerners have a hard time or non-communists have a hard time understanding how the communist regimes work. It is an organism, a collective organism. It's not in the individual's. It's a collective organism, and it is always more important than any individual thought. And that's, that's by the way, something common in all of the communist systems, uh, really totalitarianism in general, to be honest with you. Uh, you can get into the Nazis as well. So you, you, you have that. And, uh, and that unique Chinese approach, heck, we heard that decades ago. Back, uh, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, uh, Mao would say that, these guys, you know, the, these Russians are softies. They're not doing it the right way. They don't have the same vigor and resolve and purity that we have. So that uniquely Chinese approach to communism isn't new. 
Well, it, it's not new, but this is the most complete transformation of power to the party that there's ever been much more so than the mm -hmm. Soviet Communist Party, more so than the, the uh, previous North Vietnamese Party. Um, the, the, the saying in Chinese is, all truth comes from the party. And they've made it clear to their citizens, and really to the rest of the world, that if you cross them in any particular way, you will suffer for it. They have now something called a social credit score. I mean, believe it or not, it's, it's sort of like our, our credit ratings that you get on a credit card. But this de de determines whether citizens are cooperating fully with the party. And if yeah. you say anything, do anything, write anything, post anything on social media that the party doesn't like, your social credit score goes down, you lose your job, and your family gets penalized. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even the Washington Post and the New York Times has reported this. So that's uh, you know become pretty common practice, and I think very terrifying and very telling uh, for for all of us. So talk a little bit. You know, I'm curious about the uh, the status of the current president of China. You know, uh, earlier in the week uh, there was uh, rumors that he was under house arrest. Within 48 hours, he was at an event. In clear display. He hasn't said anything. If he has, I hadn't heard about it since then. Uh, do you think he's in a precarious situation? No, I, I think he has better job security than a government employee in Washington right now. Um, no, nothing. nothing's going to happen to Xi Jinping. He has ultimate power. He's about to be uh, given a third consecutive term as president, Communist Party leader, leader of the military. I mean, he, this guy has more titles than a, a banana public dictator. And uh, he's never going to be taken out by force. The, the, the silliness that emerged on Twitter and a couple of other social media sites was just that. I mean, Twitter twaddle. And, and you really you know, have to just discount it as, as somebody had a great idea. Let's say that he's, he's been put under house arrest and see what the rest of the world does. As usual, when something's on Twitter, we all go nuts trying to say, oh, my gosh, it might be true. Oh, it's just somebody making a joke. Yeah, I don't, I don't buy that simply because I've seen it everywhere. Saw it in Newsweek. I saw it in the New York Times. Um, you know, and, of course, they were smart enough to use the word rumor, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I found it interesting. I, I think there is a lot of concern about uh, some of his actions. Frankly, he's very cautious with Russia, which I think is also uh, indicative of someone who – doesn't think, you know, does think there's limits to what he can do, um, you know, and, and so, but, but it's an inter interesting thought. Talk about the uh, third book. I know we're talking, we're talking about the second book right now, right? Yeah, we're talking about the second book. I'm working on, I'm working on the final part of the trilogy. Yeah, so talk about it and talk about the total package that you have in mind uh, with, with all three as we work. Well, it, it's, been, it's been very liberating for me, Kevin. Um, for one thing, you get to write fiction. Uh, somebody asked me, you know, why do you do fiction? And I said, fiction has the freedom to guess and sometimes be right. And I think that's, you know, sort of a telling characteristic of being able to write fiction convincingly based on facts. So the third part, which I'm still working on, uh, and I hope we'll have it out next year, um, will continue the story of two of the main characters of this book, and it will bring to an end their saga of crossing around the world, uh, getting into social uh, situations, using artificial intelligence and misusing it. And the new thing about this book is we talk about the metaverse. Hmm. 
Interesting. Yeah, and you know, that's funny because obviously they are players and will be more so, but you don't hear a whole lot about China and the metaverse. And so it's almost like Facebook has sucked up all the oxygen on that. But that's interesting. That will be an interesting take. I look forward to seeing that. Really enjoyed my time with you. And uh, I, love, I love the use of fiction for conveying, you know, knowledge and information. Knowing, being intellectually honest, it is fiction, and we might occasionally be right as a result, uh, you know, of our research uh, versus a lot of nonfiction that uh, really you, kn- you know by the first two or three pages is dubious at best. So really good. Thanks so much for being with us. Kevin, thanks very much. I'm Kevin Price. This is The Price of Business. Do want to encourage you to check out this book, uh, John Moody and The World We Wish. I'll be right back after this.